welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the second morning service of Sunday the 14th of February 2010, entitled Mastering Your Mind, and the Bible reading is taken from Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 23. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Well, good morning. I am so honored uh, to be here. Um, those are very, very kind words that Pastor said to me. And, you know, they say, they say if you have on one hand people you call dear friends that you could rely on all the time, you're a rich man. But I can't even count on hands and feet the friends I have here. So I'm rich. Been blessed. And uh, the, the feeling is mutual. Uh, from what Pastor Larry said, I am so, you know, I, I really am. I don't know of another place other than maybe excluding one church that I've been back to eight times. Much less to be able to come over here and you people be gracious enough to pay my way. I am so humbled that I don't even know. Uh, words can't adequately describe how my heart feels. We're embarking on a week that is very, very crucial. There may, there may be somebody on the sound of my voice that's at a crossroads in their life. There may be somebody that you know right now that's at a crossroad in their life and they're not here. Would you make a conscious effort to try to get them here this week? I really believe by the power of God, He can do a great work, but it's very, very difficult for Him to do it if they're out there and they can't hear Him. And so I want you to pray that God would speak to you. I said in the Sunday morning, Sunday school hour, um, listen on purpose this week. Make a conscious effort that you listen to Him and not get inundated with all the affairs of this life. Lay it aside. Put it on an invisible skyhook outside the door of the church and just pick it up when you go out, but don't bring it in here. And listen to what God would have for you. And uh, I really believe it's going to be a great week. My text, of course, that I picked for the week is, God forbid that I should glory. And that's taken out of Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. And the theme of the whole week, specifically the youth conference in, in general, in, in specific, but in general the whole conference, the conference for the church, is to realize that this is not about us. Let me say it again. Everything that we do, all that we are, is not about us. It's about a greater cause, Romani. There is a cause out there that's bigger than me. There's a cause out there that's bigger than us. And when we get a hold of that, I believe the God of heaven will visit His people in such a way that just going to church won't satisfy you anymore. Just having a little Bible study won't satisfy. When you come into the presence of God and you realize His touch and His power and what He can do and demonstrate in your life, I believe just having a casual meeting with His people ain't going to do it anymore. Uh, you'll want God to so meet with you every single time after that visitation, that it'll be just common. It won't be commonplace anymore. So I pray that this morning it'll start that way. All right? Um, I want you to take your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter number 4. Proverbs chapter number 4. Proverbs chapter number 4. And I want you to look at verse number 20. We'll start at verse number 20. Proverbs chapter number 4 and look at verse number 20. I am thankful the sun's out today. Or it was. It went somewhere. But it will be back, maybe next month, but not no time soon. I, I found it very difficult to keep my feet warm when I'm in England. I don't know why that is. 
I guess I'm tying my shoes too tight. I've loosened them up, so if I kick a shoe off, y'all know I'm kind of animated. If I kick a shoe off, you know it's because it was untied, all right? Proverbs chapter number 4, look at verse number 20. Brother Chris Solomon tells his son this. He said, My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thy heart. For they are life unto them that find, that find them and health to all the flesh. I want you to look at verse 23. Solomon says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Can I speak to you this morning? I want to kind of, I want to kind of dovetail on what I spoke about this morning in Sunday school. If some of you weren't able to be here, I, I've, uh, excuse me, I've reiterated the fact that if you're going to have true joy in the Lord, and the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? This is yes, this is no. Joy of the Lord is our strength. So if we're going to have true joy, it's linked to the way we think. It's linked to the way we think. Now, 822 times the word heart is used in the Bible. 204 of them, it's translated, just as it is here in our text, it's translated, Tyler, into the mind or the thought processes of your life. So basically what the writer is saying, Solomon the father is telling his son, he said, my son, attend to my words. Incline your ears. Have you ever had your parents talk to you in a real low tone? Now, some of, some of you I know they've talked in a real loud tone before, okay? But have you ever had somebody to speak to you and they really want you to get the grasp of what they're saying and they kind of draw near to you and they, they kind of whisper and you have to listen intently on purpose? That's what Solomon is saying to his son. He said, his son, Attend your words, your ear to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Look, keep in the midst of thy heart. Let them not depart from your eyes. He said, I want you to understand something, son. I want you to listen to me. He's saying, I want you to listen to me. Keep your heart with all diligence. Teenagers, look at me. Young adults, mom and dad, look at me. Solomon is warning his son, guard your heart. With all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. 204 times, Andy, he uses this word heart in the Bible. And the God of heaven is telling us to guard our mind. Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize that you have one of the most powerful weapons in the arsenal of any war or any battle known to man? You have the greatest weapon that was given to you as the original armament. God, in, listen, He equipped you with a powerful tool, and it's called your mind. But He's also given you an instruction book, and it's called the Word of the Living God. Folks, you don't have to go through this life under, trying to not understand what you ought to use your mind to do. Because you've been given an instruction book. And can I say this, Steve? Your thoughts are what have brought you to where you're at today. And your thoughts will be what takes you to where you go tomorrow. Let me say it again. Your thoughts are what have brought you to this point today, but your thoughts will also take you to where you'll be tomorrow. Now, folks, I'm here to tell you there's, an, there's an, a, a powerful, powerful message about the mind here in one small verse. He says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Number one, I want you to write these down. Number one, I want you to see the value of the mind. Number one, the value of the mind. You say, preacher, what do you mean? The Bible says to keep thy heart with all diligence. The word keep means to guard or garrison. That means that there's some value to this thing because you're having to guard it. And folks, we're not guarding treasure. We're guard, not guarding trash. We're guarding treasure. We're not interested in garbage, but we're interested in gold. 
and your mind will take you and your thoughts will take you to where you are, are, are tomorrow because they brought you to where you're at today. Ladies and gentlemen, your mind is very valuable. You say, why? Because he says to guard your mind with all diligence. It has the connotation to mean this, that above everything else that you guard, this is the most important area that you ought to guard, is your mind. See, ladies and gentlemen, your thoughts, your thoughts are what's going to be the building blocks of who you are. So number one, I want you to see the value of the mind. It's very valuable. Why? Because you've got to guard it. He says guard it with all diligence. Because out of it are the what? That was, that was kind of weak. Out of it are the issues of life. The word issues is a Hebrew word that literally means the purse or the pocketbook of your life. Do you realize that you'll pay every bill of your life out of the thought processes that go through your mind every single day? Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about a powerful thing here. We're talking about every facet of your being. And it comes out of how you think. The value of the mind. You say, preacher, why is it so valuable? Because number one, it's the place where you will pay the bills of your life. It's the purse or the pocketbook of the life. Your mind is. Many times in the Bible, it calls it the wellspring or the well of your soul. The mind is like a well. I don't know if y'all know this, but it's not very important to us. But in the old days, a well was a very vital tool. Matter of fact, it was their lifeline. And do you know how an enemy would overtake who they wanted to conquer? They would go and contaminate their well so they wouldn't have anything to sustain them. Do you realize that you have an enemy? It ain't your sister. It ain't your mama or your daddy. It ain't your in-laws, your outlaws, your mom. It ain't none of that. Your enemy is the devil. And the enemy wants to corrupt and contaminate your mind. Why? Because number one, your mind determines your character. Your mind determines your character. You say, preacher, what do you mean? The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, I'll start it, you help me finish it. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Folks, can I say this? Your mind determines your character. Let me make a statement. You sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. Let me say it again. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. So the way you think is going to determine who you are. You are what you are because you think what you think. Let me say it again. You are what you are because you think what you think. Your mind determines your character. But not only that, Steve, but your mind determines your conduct. Your mind determines your conduct. It's very valuable. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Matthew chapter number 15, verses 18 and 19, Jesus said this. For those things which proceed out of the what? Mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. You know what Jesus is saying? It ain't what a man's putting into him is the problem. It's what's coming out of his heart that's the problem. He said, for out of the heart, pastor, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, murders, fornications, false witness, blasphemy, thefts. These are the things that defile a man, not what basically he puts into him. We know that Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And ladies and gentlemen, you have a valuable weapon, but I'm here to tell you that your mind, the devil knows, and he's been doing this a long time. And he knows if he can corrupt your mind and your thought processes, he has you right where he wants you. 
But folks, I'm here to tell you that greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. And folks, we have to realize the value of the mind. Number one, it determines your character. You are what you are because you think what you think, but not only that, but number two, it determines your conduct. Do you realize in a day, in a 24-hour day, Brother Tyler, you'll have over 50,000 thoughts go through your mind. In a 24-hour period, you'll have 1,200 1,200 decisions that you'll make in a 24-hour period. So I'm telling you this, folks. You not only are what you are because you think what you think, but you do what you do because you are what you are. And you are what you are because you think what you think. Now, some of y'all looking at me like, listen, folks, you do. That's what the Bible's saying. You do what you do because you are what you are. And you are what you are because you what? Think what you think That's why the Bible says, think on these things. Paul told the church in Philippi, whatsoever things are lovely, pure, just, honest, or poor. If there be any virtue, be any any praise, think on these things. Stop thinking so negatively. Don't look at the dust on the table. Look at the rose in the vase. Well, I can't. Well, you probably ain't if you've got that attitude. Just go ahead and sit down and suck your thumb. Well, I just can't do it. I can't do it. Wah. 1-800-WAH. Your mind determines your character. Your mind determines your conduct. Folks, 50,000 thoughts. You do what you do because you are what you are. Paul told the church in Corinth, he said, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God of the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, Scott, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. That means when you come into the preaching of the Word of God, don't daydream. Don't sit there and look at your fingernails. Listen, be here because you want God to visit you. And it's all determined by how you think. That means you know what? You need to be very careful because the devil loves a vacuum. You sit there and you sit idle, don't have nothing going on in your mind. The devil loves that. He loves it. That's why you continually, that's why Paul, listen, that's why the writer of the Psalms said this. He said, I will meditate on you, O Lord, day and night. I will put your law in my heart. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I want to be so close to you that when I call on you, it ain't like it's a long-distance call, it's local. Your mind determines your character. It determines your conduct. But I don't want to stop there. I want you to look at something. Not only the value of the mind, but I want you to see, number two, the violation of the mind. The violation of the mind. You say, preacher, what do you mean? The word violate, and it's not in our text in Proverbs 4.23, but the word violate, Tenica, means to invade or to overtake. And you say, preacher, why you use that word violate? You're violating your mind. Listen, folks, what did, what did the writer of Proverbs say to his son? Keep, guard. If a thing didn't have a re- if it listen, in order for it to be guarded, it means it has the tendency to be overtaken. You've got to guard it. You say, well, preacher, what do you mean? Any of y'all know, y'all know what the Great Wall of China is, right? It's only one of the largest things. It's one of the, it's one of the things that you can see from space on the earth. Do you know that it says that it took more man hours and more money, Pastor, to make that thing than anything known in human history? More man hours, more money to make the Great Wall of China. 
But do you realize, folks, they made it in such a way that you couldn't dig through it. You couldn't go over it. You couldn't go under it. But do you realize in the first hundred years of its history, it was invaded three times by the Mongols? You want to know how Panos the Mongols got in? They paid off the gatekeepers. And let me tell you something. The devil will write you a big enough check to try to pay you off to invade your mind because it's like wet cement. It's indelible. And devil wants to put his indelible mark on your mind. But let me tell you something. The God of creation wants to put his precious indelible mark on it. Thou will keep him, Isaiah 26, 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee. Can I ask you something today? How are you mastering your mind? Number one, you've got to realize the value of the mind. But number two, you've got to realize that the mind can be violated. The violation of the mind. You say, preacher, what can it be violated by? Can I give you just a few? Thank you, I will. The first thing you're going to have to guard your mind against being violated of is a thing I'm going to call bigness. You ought to write it down. The first thing you're going to have to guard your mind against a thing I call bigness. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Proverbs chapter number 6, verse 16, Penal says this, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. The first one is a proud look. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God? Can I say that again? To do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Do you know this is the only life I know, don't know any other quote-unquote religious uh, group to where in order for you to go up, you first have to go down. In order for you to stand, you have to learn to bend. And can I say this? There might be somebody I'm talking to this morning, and your problem is this. You have an I problem. I'm not talking about E-Y-E. I'm talking about capital I. You know what you're going to have to guard your mind against? The first area is what I'm going to call bigness. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God resisteth the... Help me out now. God resisteth the, but He gives grace to the. You're going to have to guard yourself against bigness. Wanting to be a big shot. Boy, look at what I did. Boy, I don't know how Bethel would do without me. Matter of fact, I don't know what God would do without me. I've, you know, I've, I've known people that wouldn't say that out loud, but they think it in their heart. I want to ask you something. Do you realize that pride made a devil out of an angel? Let me say it again. Pride made a devil out of an angel. Lucifer, the anointed cherub, the one that was literally the musician of heaven, who hovered above the mercy seat and gave glory to God, said, I will set my throne above God. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And God said, no, you won't. Because there ain't nobody, and I know that's bad English, but it's American. That's bad English, but it's good preaching. There ain't nobody that's going to steal glory from the one who deserves all of it. Not even you, mom. Not even you, teenager. You think you were made for you, but you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So go ahead. Think you're just your own entity. 
God has different, He's got different matters to say about that. If you're going to, listen, if you're going to guard your mind, you've got to guard it against number one bigness. I was in a, I was in a, uh, a church preaching about three years ago. Brother Steve, I had the pastor. We were sitting on the platform like this. We're talking. And a big church, about 180 people. And, you know, everybody's fellowshipping. And I'm sitting here talking to the pastor. And he said, Brother, did he, he said, did you hear about Brother so-and-so? It was a pastor friend of ours. And I said, no, what happened? He began to tell me this story, Panos, about him falling into adultery with another woman outside the confines of his marriage. Man, I began to weep. I said, man, I can't believe it. I, this guy was a pillar. This guy was a giant, I thought. But can I say this? You're never too tall that you cannot fall. Let me say it again. You ain't too tall that you cannot fall. Let him that saith he stand take heed lest he fall. Be careful. Be very careful because of what I'm getting ready to tell you right now. That pastor looked at me. And he said this. He said, you know, I know he fell. And we need to pray for him. He said, I'm telling you right now, preacher, I'd never do that. You know what, Malcolm? I looked at him and I said, oh, so, so you're more holier than David is then, right? Hello? You're more holy than David? A man after God's own heart? He fell. But what happened? He didn't go out and do whatever he wanted to. God got a hold of his heart, Carl. He fell on his face and he said, Lord, I have sinned against you. He got up, he repented. That means a change of mind, I think. <laughs> that woman called in adultery when Jesus wrote something in the sand and all of her accusers fled. He looked at her and he said, where are your accusers now? She said, I have none, Lord. He didn't say, neither do I condemn you. Go and live your old lifestyle you used to. He said, no, go and sin no more. I'm going to say something, folks. If we're going to guard our mind, we've got to guard against bigness. Against bigness, pride. But number two, we've got to guard our mind against busyness. You ought to write these down. They help me. They help you. Number two, guard your mind against bigness. But number two, guard your mind. You've got to guard it because it will get violated, I promise you, against busyness. Y'all remember the story? I'm not telling y'all anything. I'm just kind of reminding you so it'll strengthen you and encourage you tomorrow at work or at school. No, y'all don't go to school, do you? Anyway, you know what I'm talking about next week. You remember the story about Mary and Martha, two sisters, Lazarus' sisters, that Jesus has come into town. He's going to have a dinner with them. And, and Martha is in the kitchen, and it says she's cumbered about with much serving. You know what the word cumbered means? It means to drag around. Oh, i got to get ready to go to church. Oh, You know what? You can always tell when somebody's spirit-filled because you don't have to drag around to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. You'll do it with a smile on your face and a joy in your heart and a, 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 a little a spring in your step. It won't be like, oh, man. And then, you know, it's amazing how people can take a metamorphosis, isn't it? They'll be walking around dragging and a brother coming in the door. Hey, good to see you. God bless you. Fake. Fake. But Jesus said he perceived her. He knew what she is thinking. You know what God knows what you're thinking right now? I don't like that preacher. I ain't buying what he's selling. It don't matter. The truth of that book right there will change you. He said he perceived her thoughts. He looked at her and he said, Martha, come here. He said, you're careful and troubled about many things. 
He said, but one thing's needful, and your sister chose the good part. She knows I ain't going to be here much longer, and she's sitting here worshiping me. And you're in there dragging around thinking that you're doing some great activity for God when you ought to be spending time with me. You know what? You've got to guard your mind. Listen to me. If you think you're busy now, young people, wait till you get married and go out and get a job. Oh, I just can't do it, preacher. I got homework tonight. I got to do this. I got to do that. You don't know busy. You wait till you pass yourself going down the hallway and go, I think I know you. You know, in America, the big thing now is, I don't know about y'all, but the big thing in America is, boy, if you've got more than one cell phone, man, you have arrived. Boy, I don't need but, I don't need but one, and I want to throw it as far as the east is from the west. Ringing all the time. But boy, you know what? You've got to guard yourself against busyness. Let me speak to you parents a minute. Steve, I was, uh, I was preaching a youth camp about eight years ago. Staying in a missions home in Statesville, preaching a camp in Lenore. About 45 minutes to an hour drive, I'd need to leave every afternoon about 4 o'clock to go preach at 7, give me time to get there and fellowship and get my thoughts prepared and pray a little bit. And It was about 4 o'clock, and I can remember that whole week. My son was about, he was about 8 years old. My son had his glove and his ball. My son loves to throw ball now, and I don't like throwing him no more because he's about to take my hand off, okay? I mean, he... <laughs> I'm like, that's it, one throw, that's it. Enjoyed it, Seth. But, uh, but we're throwing ball. And I remember an eight-year-old boy, he wanted to throw ball all the time. You know, or how do y'all say it? Pass ball, you pass it. And, and anyway, I'm learning. It's taken me nine years, folks, to get used to the colloquialisms in England. So bear with me. But I was throwing the baseball with my son. And, but that day I wasn't. I can remember him coming to me. And him saying, hey, Dad, can we throw ball? You know, I was doing some stuff in my calendar, and I was writing some things down I had to do that day, and I looked at him. I remember saying this, Tenica. I said, no, son, I'm, too, I'm, I'm a little too busy to do it right now. Well, 12 o'clock rolled around. We got done eating our sandwich, and my son got his ball glove, Ramani, and he comes to me and says, hey, Dad, you got time now? No, son, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. Malcolm, about 4 o'clock rolled around, and I'm getting ready to leave. I'm on a cell phone because I'm telling them I'm already late. I'm already late in leaving. They were eating dinner at 5.30. I needed to be gone off the road about quarter to 4. And Tim, I got on the phone with the director of the camp, and I said, I'm running a little bit late. And as I pulled off the property of Eastside Baptist Church, I saw my son, Tyler, taking that ball, throwing it up in the air and catching it himself. I just hung the phone up, Pastor Larry. I picked it back up and I said, I want you to do me a favor. I called the camp up. I said, you tell the proper people that I'm going to be running a little bit late. And y'all leave music till I get there. You just sing. And if I don't get there, you just keep singing. I'll be there shortly. And I got off the phone and I backed my truck up, Chris. And I parked it. I got out of the truck. I said, Seth, where's my ball glove? It didn't take him long to find it. He was gone. He was back. We was throwing ball. And for the next 35 to 40 minutes, Panos, we threw ball. You know what? Nobody knows really that that happened except my son, me, and a few people I tell all over the world. I mean, not a lot of people know. (laughs) 
And I say this, folks, you've got to guard your mind against bigness. You've got to guard your mind against busyness. Don't ever get too busy. Don't ever get too busy that you don't spend time with your family. You know what, folks? I have canceled meetings before. I have literally canceled meetings before because of my family. Don't ever get that busy. You've got to guard your mind against bigness, number two, against busyness, but I'm, I'm done here in just a second. You've got to guard your mind. Listen to me now. This is very crucial. You've got to guard your mind against bitterness. Not only against bigness, but against bit, busyness, but you've got to guard your mind against bitterness. You know the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 12, verse 15, Steve, it says, looking diligently. Where did we hear that word before? In our text in Proverbs 4, he says, keep thy heart with all what? Diligence. Above everything that you keep, this is the most important. He says, looking diligently, pastor, looking diligently, lest, the grace, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Folks, I was preaching a camp just this past sp uh, spring. In April, I was in Augusta, Georgia. I was pre preaching a, 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 a camp uh, for kids, uh, kind of like their half term, back to school, um, end, of the, end of the semester. And at the end of one of the evening sessions, one of my friends in the church came to me and said, you know, I, preach it to, I teach at this Christian school down the road. Would you come and preach chapel for us tomorrow? It was a Monday night. He said, it's Tuesday morning about 10 o'clock. I said, sure, I'll be there. Went down the road on Tuesday morning, got there. Uh, I wouldn't know what to expect. He didn't tell me anything. I walked into the auditorium of the church. They've got their school around their church. And I walked into the auditorium, Tim, and I got in the pulpit, and I noticed there was about 38 kids in there. Well, I started preaching along the lines of what I'm preaching now about bitterness. When I got done... I asked for all the heads bowed and all eyes closed, and I asked for a raise of hands of who was struggling with bitterness in their life. You say, preacher, how do I know if I'm bitter? I'll tell you how. If there's somebody right now, if I mention their name, and the hair on the back of your neck began to raise up, and your blood began to boil, and you started shaking a little bit, and you said, I hope I never see them because I want to... <laughs> you probably bitter. You probably bitter. I, I was not ready, Tenica, for what was getting ready to happen. When, when I gave the invitation, I asked for a raise of hands. There's six staff in there, 38 kids. We're talking about 44 people, excluding the pastor. Pastor Larry, 43 hands went up. I'm not talking about 10 over here and maybe a couple of... I'm talking about everybody, excluding the pastor, raised their hand and said, I'm struggling with bitterness. You know what I didn't realize? that every one of those kids in that Christian school came from a divided home. Family all splintered up, daddy. One big strapping young man stood up and he said, I got a word I want to say. Well, you know, you're very careful about when that happens. You don't want to just give the mic to anybody. He said, I got a word to say. Well, he was bigger than I was and I said, you go right ahead. <laughs> he came forward and the pastor said, he's all right. Came forward. Preacher, he stood there and he looked at his peers, all of his classmates. And he said, everybody in here knows. I mean, man, he's big. This dude's big. Man, he's standing. I mean, I've, I'm looking up at this kid. He's six, 16 years of age. He looked at him and he said, everybody in here knows I'm bitter. It's almost like, what, what do you want to do about it? You know, I was like, oh, hey. 
He said, everybody in here knows I'm bitter. And he said, I'm going to tell you what. He said, I just got a call from my father. He said, I don't claim him, but he said, he just called me and asked how the family was doing. I said, well, Dad, you know, uh, our three-year-old, my three-year-old sister, who you ain't never come to see, you wasn't even there when she was born, is sick on the verge of running about 103 degrees temperature, and you don't, even, you don't even come see us. You know what he said? That father said on the phone to this boy, he said this in his testimony. He said, well, maybe she won't last. It'll be one less mouth I have to feed. <laughs> now, I know we all are real spiritual saints in here. I wonder what you do when you get a call like that. He said he slammed the phone down. He said, and for three days, I hadn't been able to sleep because I wanted to find out where he lived, so I'd go kill him. He said, but you know what? And pastor, this ain't me. It's what that book says. I am just a mouthpiece. I'm an agent. I ain't nothing. He's everything. God used his word in that young man's heart, and he said this morning, he said, I'm letting go of this thing because it's going to eat me alive. Do you know what, folks? You don't hold a grudge. A grudge holds you. And he said, I am done with this bitterness, and I'll let it go. Do you know what? When he said that, about three or four kids got up. They came up and hugged him. Panos, about five or six kids came from this way. Before we were done in 30 minutes, everybody was on the altar praying that God would deliver them from their bitterness. You want to know how to have victory in your mind? Let go of it. Let it go. And give it to him. You gotta guard your mind, mom and dad, teenager. You gotta guard your mind against bigness, against busyness, and against bitterness. You can close your Bibles, I'm done. How do you have victory in your mind? You know, you, it, it'd be a sad day if I said this is how the value of it and the violation of it didn't give you any way of getting out of it. You know how you have victory? You start calling it what it is, you admit your sin. In other words, if you've got a real problem with your thought life because of what you look at on the internet, you confess it to God, don't relabel it, don't call it something it ain't. You call it what God calls it, and He calls it S-I-N. Amen, preacher. That's good preaching. I like it. Amen. I knew I wasn't going to get any amens right there, so amen myself. You admit your sin. You arm yourself with Scripture. Arm yourself with the Bible. Listen, what did Jesus use when the devil said, you know what, you hungry? Why don't you turn that bread into stone? I mean, that stone into bread. It's been a long flight, been a long week, all right? Hold on, just bear with me, all right? You turn that, you turn that stone into bread. He said, I'll tell you something, devil. As it is written. Jesus was God. He could have defeated him right there, but he used the Word of God. And he said, as it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Well, why don't you do this? Why don't you jump off the temple at the highest peak? And why don't you just trust God because he said he'd give angels to bear you up? And he said, thou shalt, as it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He said, well, you know what? If you'll bow down and worship me, Jesus, I'll give you everything you see. And he says, as it is written. As it is is written. You want to know why some of you don't have victory? Is because you don't know the book. you got to use the book against the enemy. You know what I love? I love the same chapter he does, but not as much. I know that man right there loves Romans. That's the gospel of the grace of God, and he loves Romans chapter 8, but I'm going to tell you something what gave me comfort. When I thought that God was done with me a year ago, 
I came here last year and I could not voice how I felt because I just tendered my resignation from my church. I was hurting. But can I tell you something? I got down and he gave me a promise. He said, who shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or nakedness, or famine, or peril, sword, as it is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long, we're counted as sheep for the slaughter. He said, nay, in all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You say, preacher, you're just a little bit too excited for me. I can't help it. You looking at somebody that was an ain't and now I'm a saint. And you don't have to be dead 600 years before somebody calls you saint. Today, if you're a saved child of God, you're a saint and you're in this service and Saint Brian's preaching. Amen? How do you have victory? Well, you admit you sin. You don't relabel it. You don't sugarcoat it. You don't sweep it under the rug. You admit it to God. He says, thank you. You arm yourself with Scripture, but you attack the source. You attack the source. Realize, folks, where the battle is going on. Right here. I met a fellow two years ago. I was painting a house in Landfall. Landfall is this exclusive country club in Wilmington, North Carolina, where I live. I mean, I'm talking 8,000 to 10,000 to 12,000 square foot homes. Some of them ranging from $750,000 up to $3 million. I was kind of humbled when I drove my little MPV Mazda van in there. And I was like, wow. I went up to paint this house. Two days after I started painting it, I noticed across the street, kind of perpendicular to the house, I noticed there was another house. And I got in. Now listen, folks, you can't get in this community unless you've got an account number, you've got a card, and all this other stuff. It's a gated community. Well, I went in there, and I noticed that there were about four police cars around this large house across the street. Peter? I went over because I was kind of interested in what was going on. I didn't know if somebody was hurt. Maybe I could help. I'm a minister of the gospel. Maybe I can talk to somebody. Went over there. There's a guy standing, Pastor, in his sweatpants and nothing but a T-shirt and some tennis shoes just standing there like this looking at his house. And I said, hey, man, do you know who lives here? He said, I do. I went, you live here? He said, yes, I live here. Now, I'm going to go ahead and qualify this because I'm not trying to be mean, but this guy was English. He was English lad, okay? He was from England. And, you know, he talked. I can't do it. But he talked. You know, he had his, had, his, had, his, had his accent. And I said, uh, I said, can you, what happened? He said, somebody broke in my house yesterday. I said, wait a minute. Broke in your house? It's a gated community. How can somebody break in your house? I said, surely you've got an alarm system on your house. You are a very wealthy man, obviously, to have a house at about $1.8 million. He said, yeah, I got an alarm system. I said, well, can I ask you, what do you do to afford something like that? And he said, I sell security systems for a living. I went, what? He said, I sell security systems for a living. He said he sells the systems that go in the house to keep people from breaking in them. And I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, and he, he said this. He said, I hope you don't laugh at me. I said, I won't laugh. <laughs> I, I, I said, well, how in the world, I know if you even, if you sell them, you had to have a most elaborate security system on this house known to man. He said, I did. 
I said, well, how did somebody break in the middle of the day? He said, I forgot to set it. Now you say, preacher, what's your point? Do you realize, folks, that you have one of the most precious, powerful weapons in all the world? Your mind. But if you don't set it properly every single day, you will be robbed. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody looking around. Nobody looking around. I wondered, it, I wondered today if you'd say, Preacher, you know what? God has spoke to my heart in this area of my mind. I've realized now the value of my mind. But I've realized I've got to guard my mind against it being violated. And it can be violated, Preacher, I understand by bigness, by pride, by busyness, and by bitterness. And you'd say, Preacher, I want you to pray for me. God has spoken to my heart about this thing. And I want to change the way I think and will you pray by the grace of God He'll help me to do that? Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. God bless you as you raise your hand. God sees the hand that represents the heart. You can put it down. Thank you so much. Now with no props or nothing to keep us propped up, I'm, just gonna, I'm, I'm not even going to ask Miss Shelley to even play anything Do we have our invitation hymn. I want you to do this with me. I want you to say, God, I want you to give me, in the silence of your prayer time right now, say, God, give me victory. Help me not to sugarcoat my sin. Help me not to relabel it, but help me to be honest before you. And I admit it today, I've got a problem with my mind and my thought processes. I want you to give me victory. You, it, listen, folks, to have that victory, you've got to arm yourself with the Bible. Use the Word of God against your foe. Use the Word of God against these discouraging times. And attack the source. Folks, set your mind properly. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for this day. I pray for the ones that raised their hand, that are struggling. Lord, there may be somebody here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior. God, my prayer this morning is this, that they just wouldn't be in church this morning, but they would be in Christ. Help them to come to you. Lord, you said you're not willing that any should perish, and I believe you, and I... I, I claim the promise of God that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Maybe there's somebody today that's under the sound of my voice that needs to come to Calvary. Their problem is not their thought life. Their problem right now is they need a Savior. And you stand with open arms waiting to receive them if they'll just come. Lord, for the ones that raise their hand with maybe issues of bigness, of pride, of busyness, being too busy and active, or maybe it's bitterness. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to surrender everything, lock, stock, and barrel to you. And I'll love you and praise you for what you do in our midst this morning. And what you have done, I give you praise for. Because I ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.